chapter 6, and just keep it there, and we're going to go through this message. Um, I want to talk about a couple things quick. First of all, we're halfway through our academic quarter school, halfway through the first quarter, and I'm proud of many of our students who have embraced the standards that we have established for them here in our ministry of pursuing academic excellence with the specific targets of all A's and an occasional B. I'm asking that all of us who are out of the school system, we no longer teach, we're no longer matriculating, don't have any homework, don't have to study, but all of us who are adults, whenever we see a student that we attempt to stop and to speak into their lives, to encourage them, amen, to, to ask them how they're doing and to encourage them all along the way and to continue to impress upon them what the expectation is. And the reason that I want every adult to do that is because we want to raise the academic performance of our community. We are tired, we are, we are tired, we're tired, I, I am tired. I, I, I don't want to be the subject and the object of all the reports and studies that say that we are poor academic achievers. Uh, forget that, amen, that's the past. Yes, we, we want to demonstrate that we, too, can be a part of the high-achieving groups. Amen. Because we have everything that it takes. We, we have the intellect. We have the skill sets. And so I think if we go hard after academics, we can lay a new foundation, a foundation for what I call the new swag. Amen. The new swag. Instead of swag being defined as the type of jeans you wear, the type of shoes you wear, type of music that you listen to, or instead of swag being defined as one's popularity amongst the, uh, those who are going to be the most likely to be the knucklehead group, amen. Instead of that being what swag is, swag will be academic swag, amen. We have a certain way we walk and talk and feel about ourselves because of our high academic achievement that's undergirded by our faith in God. And so... I believe our foreparents will dance in their graves. They won't turn over. They'll dance, you know, because our foreparents dance. Yeah, they don't turn over. They'll dance in their graves because they'll know that their sacrifices have not been in vain. It's hard to understand the sacrifices that have been paid in order for us to even have access to a school. You know, what price people paid. And so uh, there is no greatness, my brothers and sisters, without sacrifice. Am I right about that? And when our foreparents know and feel and sense beyond the grave that their sacrifices are not in vain, it cre creates a sense of joy because anytime you refrain and sacrifice something in order to achieve something, you sacrifice television, you sacrifice playing, you sacrifice things that are of lesser importance in order to achieve an A in your class. When you achieve that A, it creates a great deal of joy. Somebody say amen. You see, greatness cannot be achieved. Somebody say greatness. Greatness cannot be achieved without sacrifice. It must be willing to sacrifice if we are to have greatness. The greatness, according to Jesus, is not just grandiosity. It's not just big things and flashy things. That's not how Jesus defined greatness. But greatness, according to Jesus, is engaging in significant sacrificial service. Everybody wants to be great. Everybody wants to be a part of something great. But we also must be willing to embrace the daunting and difficult challenge 
of intentional sacrifice. Now, when I was a child, um, at my house where we lived, uh, we had one black and white television. One black and white television. We had three ice trays in the freezer. They stacked on top of each other. And back in the real, and really back in the day, they were three metal ice trays. Some of y'all are too young to remember anything like that, but the metal ice trays had a handle on the top of them. And once your ice froze, you'd pull the handle up and it would separate the ice cubes in the metal ice tray. Then God blessed us and we upgraded our ice trays from metal ice trays to plastic ice trays. And all you had to do was twist the tray and the ice would pop out. But the thing is about it, once somebody used all the ice in the three ice trays, there was no more ice until the ice froze again. It wasn't like today when you have ice on demand. We had one loaf of bread and one gallon of milk to help us make it through the week. If you ate all that bread and drank all that milk before the weekend came, there was not going to be any more bread. There was not going to be any more milk until the next weekend because they shopped on the weekend. And I wish somebody, they didn't go to the store every day. You could, you could eat all your cornflakes the first day, but it wasn't going to be no more cornflakes the rest of the week. That's just how it, how it was. You know what? We had um, one pair of Chuck Taylor, if you were blessed, really blessed, and you begged hard enough, you got one pair of Chuck Taylor All-Star Converse sneakers. That's what you got. One pair. You used that to try out for football. You tried out for the basketball team. You tried out for the track team, the golf team. Anything you had to do outside, that one pair of Chuck Taylor All-Star Converse had to be on your feet. Somebody know what I'm talking about in here? We had one pair. Somebody say one pair. We had one pair of dress shoes, just one pair. You didn't have no brown pair and a black pair. You know, you had one pair. You had no tan pair, cordon, cordovan pair of shoes. You had one pair of dress shoes. And as a matter of fact, we had one can of black shoe polish in the house. Everybody had to use the same can of shoe polish in the house. And guess what? We had chicken one time a week. We had chicken only one time, one time a week, and that was on Sunday. I wish I had only one day a week. That was the only time we had chicken. You don't know. You might have anything on Monday. It might be just greens and beans. might be fried bologna. Fried. I know y'all do, didn't do that. But where I lived, that's how it was. But you know what? With all of that, I, I don't know how that sounds. But where I lived, that was not a sacrifice. One pair of shoes, three ice trays, that was not sacrifice. Let me see if I can explain to you what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is a guy by the name of James Fleager who on his 40th birthday decided that he knew he could not do the kind of manual labor that he had been doing on his life. So I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound really strange to you. I couldn't believe it when I read it, but it's really true. He said, now this is really strange. It really happened. I'm going to tell you what sacrifice sounds like. This guy said that, that with his wife's encouragement, he quit his job. Yeah, he, he realized he could not do manual labor anymore, and so she re recommended that he go back to school. And with, with her encouragement, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, now, my wife has told me a whole lot of stuff over the time we've been married, but she has never encouraged me to quit my job. <laughs> 
<laughs> Amen. Amen. But with his wife's encouragement, he, she, he quit his job, and he went back to school, and he graduated from the Ivy Tech Community College with a degree, an associate's degree in public safety. He had a 4.0 GPA. He was chosen the most outstanding student in his program. And he, he, he said this. He said, the reason I quit my job, check this out. I want you to hear sacrifice in this. He said, because I didn't want to try to juggle too many balls at the same time. I didn't want to try to be a good husband, a good dad, and be working and going to school at the same time. So I figured that if I was going to go to school, that I wanted to do my best while I was in school and I approached it like a job. I'd get the best grades I could possibly get and set a good example for my kids. And what he did, he said many nights his children and himself were sitting at the table and they all were doing homework together. He graduated looking for a job in the, work, in the workforce and this is how he described the experience. He said my whole family has sacrificed, somebody say sacrifice, has sacrificed a lot so that I can go back to school. My wife has been supporting the entire family on her income. My kids have had to sacrifice a lot of things that their friends have, things that they used to have before I went to school. And all three of them have been a great support to me. My brothers and sisters, let me say this. Um, all A's and an occasional B, earning all A's and an occasional B will not happen just because we quote it. I wish I had somebody. Uh, just because we say it, just because it's a nice little catchy phrase. In order for us to earn the all A's and occasional B's that we have set as the standard for our community, it will require some sacrifice. And not only, not only does academic excellence require sacrifice, spiritual power requires sacrifice. Write this down. Write this down, my brothers and sisters. No one is born spiritually powerful. I wish I had somebody say amen. Nobody comes out of the womb spiritually powerful. But only by sacrifice does spiritual power occur. We become spiritually powerful because we're willing to sacrifice. In order to become spiritually powerful, God spoke to Moses to teach the children of Israel in the wilderness how to sacrifice their way out. And, I, and according to Numbers chapter 6, it reads as follows. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, notice that it says if a man or a woman, there is no distinction in who can receive the blessings of God. If you're willing to pay the price, God is willing to bless your life. I wish I had somebody say amen. Yeah, if you seek him, the Bible says seek him uh, while he may be found. Draw close to him and he will draw close to you. Uh, verse 2, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite, not a Nazarene, but a Nazarite, he must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. He must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. He must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. Let me just stop there for a while because he knew what somebody's going to ask. Somebody's going to say, well, we can't uh, drink wine, but it's all right to drink Welch's. It's Welch's all right. You know how we are. Anytime we start talking about sacrificing and what we can't do, now we want to start reading labels and getting definitions. Amen. You see, amen. In, in other words, let's clear this thing up right now. Let's clear up. Don't touch a grape. Don't touch a raisin. No grape juice. No grape jelly. No grape jam. No grape preserves. No grape colored pants. No grape nothing that has to do with the grape, leave it alone in this time of sacrifice. And as long as he is a Nazarite, he must not 
eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. And during the entire period of his vile separation, no razor must be used on his head. He must be holy until the period of his separation of the Lord is over. He must let his hair grow long throughout the period of his separation to the Lord. He must not go near a dead body, even if his own father or mother or brother or sister dies. Oh, my goodness. He must not make himself ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of his separation to God is on his head. And throughout this period of separation, he is consecrated. Somebody say consecrated. He is consecrated to the Lord. Now, Nazarite is not a person from Nazareth. Amen. It's not a Nazarene. A Nazarite is a person who has consecrated his life to the Lord for a set period of time or for their entire life in order to complete a vow that they have made to God. The Nazarite was devoted himself to a self-imposed. Somebody say self-imposed. That means the community was not obligated to do it. No one was required to do it. It was a self-imposed self-discipline in order to perform some special service for God. The Nazarite believed that God wanted to use them for some special purpose. I wish I had two or three people in here today that believed that they were extraordinary and that somehow God in his infinite wisdom would choose them, it would choose them, that God would choose them to do something special. You see, when God calls us, God cleanses us. And when God cleanses us, he wants to use us. And when God wants to use us, he wants to use us for something that we cannot do on our own. As a matter of fact, God is so strange that any time he assigns us something, he always assigns us something that is bigger than our capabilities. I wish I had somebody. In other words, God does not read resumes. He does not. He does not collect dossiers. What God does is calls you, and he always checks out your skill sets, checks out your gifts, checks out your training, checks out your experience, and then he has the audacity to call you to do something that does not line up with your training, does not line up with your experience, does not line up with your exposure. He always calls us to do something that we're not qualified to do, calls us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone, calls us to do something we're unprepared to do. You don't believe me? Look at Scripture. Peter, Peter, after you finish denying me, when you get finished denying me, what I want you to do, Peter, I want you to preach the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. You're not qualified because you spend most of your time trying to pretend you weren't even a Christian. But what I want you to do while you were perpetrating and faking folk, I was picking you, Peter, to preach for me on the day of Pentecost. All you, Peter's not enough of a definition. Paul, Paul, I tell you what, after you finish consenting to the death of my most faithful and loyal servants in the city of Jerusalem, Paul, what I want you to do, Christian killer, I want you to become my apostle to the Gentiles. I want you to plant church. I want you to raise up disciples after you finish your killing spree. Uh, well, if Paul is not enough, how about Samson? Samson wasn't but about five feet, one inches tall, 135 pounds dripping wet. But he says, what I want you to do, Samson, I want 
want you to defeat the entire Philistine army. I know you're not big. I know you're not strong. But just trust in me and do what I say. And when the time is right, I'll put an anointing on you that'll make people shake their head. They'll be texting folks and tweeting about you, Samson. Say, that joker beat the whole army down all by himself. Well, if Samson is not enough, how about David? David's brothers even said to him, well, you've never fought anybody. You've never been in the army. Why you got the audacity to be rolling up here on the army talking some trash? David said, let me tell you, I've never fought in the army, but I did fight a bear one time. And I've never fought in the army, but I did beat a lion one time. And the same God that gave me victory over the lion and the, the same God that gave me victory over the bear, he will give me the victory over this uncircumcised Philistine. I may not have the resume. I may not have the training. I may not have the background, but my God always picks the person that's unqualified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so God always seems to choose us in some area where we're not qualified. Well, my brothers and sisters, in order to do it, though, we're going to have to sacrifice. There's going to be sacrifice required. You should know about sacrifice. For the past 21 days, the church has been praying and fasting. Y'all so quiet on me. Y'all act like I'm speaking in an unknown tongue without an interpreter in the presence of the Nah, I'm saying that for the past, am I right about that for the past 21 days? You should know something about sacrifice. We just stopped the fast this morning. Just stopped it. Just stopped it for the past 20. Oh, I know, 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 I know. I ain't going to say it, but I know, I know, I know. But listen, the church, you see, you can't personally have power without sacrifice, and neither can the church. Oh, I wish I had somebody. The church can't have power without sacrifice. You see, the church has power when the people of the body of Christ decide. You see, my toe can't fast and the fingers say I'm not going to fast. All of us need to get behind the prayer tower and the prayer wheel and the prayer circle and the sacrificial commitment and watch how God might move in the midst of your people. Do you want to see somebody get saved? I'll see you sacrifice. Do you want to see somebody get delivered? How about sacrifice? Do you want to see somebody's life get turned around? It is based on our desire and our commitment to sacrifice. So we're sacrificing. We've been praying. What have we been praying about? Don't do any good to pray if you're not praying about something. Prayer is not prose. Prayer is petition. I wish I had it. Prayer is asking for something. Am I right? Yeah, we're not just going up to God just trying to sound good. We're asking for something. We're saying, God, we need you to show us. God, we need you to direct us because we're considering launching out on faith again. So, well, you just finished launching out on faith. Well, God, you said walk by faith and not by sight. Not in some seasons, all seasons. We're thinking about God pursuing another property. Why do we want to pursue another property? Didn't you just finish pursuing a property and closing on a property and finishing and getting them? More? Why do you want to do that again? Why? Because some folks are still unsaved. And maybe where we are, our arms are not long enough to reach everybody from where we are. I wish I had some help. And, and maybe if we relocate, not just relocate, but if we expand 
to an additional property because we're going to have to move from Pines anyway. The lease runs out in May of 2012. The church that's there, they're ready to do some things there, and they, so they're growing and doing well, and so you know you're going to have to move eventually. They're letting us use it. So um, um, Billie Holiday, she wasn't a prophetess, but she, her words are still right. Mama may have and Papa may have, but God bless the child. Come on now. That's God is on. I mean, yeah, we can make a hymn of that. Yeah, amen. God bless the child. That's God is on. We're going to have to do something. And our vision statement says that we want to be the most visible, accessible, and comprehensive ministry in Broward County. So in order to get more visible and more accessible and more comprehensive, ah, maybe, maybe, God, if we reposition ourselves, we'll have a further reach to the north and a further reach to the west and the east. And God, we already got it covered down south. I wish I had some. We we got it covered down south. We got a good reach down south. So, God, the reason we're doing it is not because we want a piece of property on our asset line in our balance sheet. The reason we're doing it because we're not into properties. We're not in the land. We're not in the square footage. What we are into are souls. God, somewhere in plantation, there's somebody who's not saved. God, somewhere in sunrise, there's somebody right now who's fighting with their wife right now God somebody just got home this morning drunk oh God and their children don't have what they need. God if we can preach the gospel live the life God we want to reach more people for you yeah where you yeah because Jesus said I'm come to seek and to save those who are lost. Church is not interested in property for property's sake, but whatever it takes to help somebody make a commitment to Jesus is our commitment. So on Sterling Road, 9730 Sterling Road in Cooper City, there's a property available. And so we're asking God to direct us. Because we don't want to move unless God says so. And we don't want to move without talking to God about it first. Say amen. And when we move, we want to move together. We don't want to move Pines, move in Miami Gardens, stay still. We don't want to move in Miami Gardens is moving and Pines is still. Last time we talked about this, we are one congregation in two locations. Can I get a witness in the house? And so when we move, we move out together. Somebody say together. Amen. We move together. Now, in order to do it, we have to sacrifice. I want to take you through this for your worksheets, what this whole thing of sacrifice in terms of the Nazarite means. Let's talk about it. The Nazarite vow, and write this down, the Nazarite vow was not about giving up sin. It was about giving up pleasure. Let's make that a note. The Nazarite vow was not about giving up sin. It was about sacrificing, sacrificing something that was pleasurable. Because pleasures, when overindulged in, can neutralize the power of God in our life. The Nazarite was required to address four different vices. Vices, this is on your worksheet, vices... You all understand what vices are, right? They're bad habits. Vices will keep you in your wilderness. Bad habits will keep you in your wilderness. 
even if they're secret bad habits and nobody else knows that you have them, they will keep you in your wilderness. So when people ask, when people wonder, well, why is he still there? Well, something not being said. We're not telling the whole story. Yeah. Are y'all feeling me? Let's talk about the, the vices. First, an obsession for intoxicants. The Nazarite was told not to drink any wine or fermented drinks as long as he was in the vow and sacrificial period unto the Lord. An obsession about our appearance. He says, while you're in this sacrificial period for the Lord, you can't be overly concerned about whether or not you got some red bottom shoes. Whether you got you some Jimmy Chews. Can't be so concerned about nails and all that kind of stuff. He says, when you're in a sacrificial time for the Lord, your focus is going to have to be singular. So you may have to go without going to the beauty shop. You may have to do your hair yourself. Y'all not feeling me. You got to sacrifice something. Y'all have forgot how to do that, but you may have to learn it all over again. I'm talking about when you're in a period of sacrifice. Yeah, you can't be caught up on your appearance, brothers. You, and, and third, he says, you, you have to deal with the obsession for anguish. You notice it says in the scripture, he said, even if your parents die, well, that's, that's cold. He said, even if your parents die, you cannot defile yourself. You cannot stop your sacrificial period because of death of a close loved one. In other words, you must maintain your focus and you must be able to manage your own grief in the midst of your period of sacrifice and the commitment that you have made to the Lord. Are y'all following me? And then 30 says you, you must deal with your obsession for affluence. He says, even while you are in the midst of your sacrifice, you must be willing to bring God an offering, though you are already sacrificing. In other words, when you sacrifice, don't stop giving God your offering. It said on the eighth day, the Nazarite was to bring his offering to the Lord. In other words, don't substitute your self-denial for sowing and seeding into the kingdom. Service is not a substitute for giving. The Nazarite was also required to address his thought life. It says, consecrate the head, verse 11. Consecrate your head. Consecrate the head, mean, meaning, and let's just interpret it, interpret it sort of metaphorically today. Get your head together. First, clear your head of ungodly thoughts. Well, someone said, well, I can't help what I think. Oh, yes, you can. You can help what you think. How do you clear your head of ungodly thoughts? Stop exposing yourself to ungodly things. And you start exposing yourself to godly things, you'll find your thoughts will become transformed. Are you with me? Yeah, you stop listening to some of the 10 cent junk that's going inside your ears, amen, and put some more, some more extravagant stuff around you. Put some stuff that has some value that's feeding your spirit and empowering your soul. And so... Uh, clear your head, clear your head of ungodly thoughts. Ungodly thoughts will lead you to spiritual weakness. It will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 teaches us to bring every thought into captivity and into obedience for Christ. Two, clear your head of unnecessary thoughts. Everything you think is not necessary that you be thinking about it. You need to be like grandma, your grandmother. You don't you remember your grandmother? Oh, yeah. I'm talking about them old-time grandmothers. You come rolling up on them, talking about grandmother, when you're going to bake another pineapple upside down cake? She would say this, child, I ain't thinking about you. <laughs> grandmother, when are we going to go to the store? She'd tell her, look at you straight in your eyes and say, 
boy, I ain't thinking about it. And she wasn't joking. That thought didn't even go in her head. I ain't think. Listen, you, got to, you have to not allow some things to be the object of your attention. Some things you can't give any energy, any focus at all. Are you with me? Do not clean your head of unnecessary thoughts. Only those things that are consistent with your destiny, your purpose, and the will of God for your life. Clear your head of unproductive thoughts. Let me tell you what those are. Thoughts of hatred. Thoughts of regret. You can't sit around all day saying, well, you know, when I was in high school, man, I sure wish I wouldn't have gone out with her. Oh, when I was in, high, in college, I wish I hadn't dated him. Well, you done dated him now. Ain't no, use in, ain't no use in sitting around here 20 years later and you talking about what you wish you hadn't done. You already did it. Come on now. What you've got is unproductive to sit around regretting what has happened in the past. Let me tell you how powerful your God is no matter what has happened in the past. God has stepped into your life. And what God has said that all things work towards the good of those who trusted him. Oh, I made some mistakes. I had some missteps. Oh, yes. But God is going to take every mistake and convert it into positive energy and all that I might triumph. And so we have to clear our minds of every unproductive thought. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Well, I don't have a dad. Well, some folk had a dad and wish they didn't have a dad. Well, my mama did this. Some folks are wishing that they had a mama that did the same thing that you wish your mama did not do. What you've got to do, you've got to embrace your life as it is, both good and bad. And then say, God, I'm giving all of it to you. And then, God, you make me more than a conqueror. You see, because what we do, we take unproductive thoughts and then we convert them into excuses. And then those excuses become the reason why we don't ever do what it is God wants us to do. And you can never be great in life if you have any kind of excuse. Then clean your head of unforgiving thoughts. Some stuff happened to you. Some stuff happened. Somebody did something to you. Shouldn't have done it, but they did it. It happened to you. Yeah, but you need to forgive. Amen. Let it go. Ask God to take it. Release every hater. You're going to have got some haters. Yeah, haters will hurt you, but release them. Let them go. You keep stepping. Perpetrators, what they did to you, left you high and dry, stole your money, tricked you, all that, let them go. Just don't get it back in partnership with them no more. Amen. Don't let them talk you back into nothing else. Come on now. And, and, and so, and so um, you want to leave all the unforgiving thoughts and then clear your head of unsolicited thoughts. That's about worry. Do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drive, how you're going to get there. God will take care of you. Then finally, you want to rededicate the time. Make a vow regarding the set time with God. In other words, when, you, when you're in this sacrificial period, what you want to do is do, this is the way it sounds. Because the truth is, God does not need us we need God. God's going to be fine without me. But we need God. 
And so because we have a great need for God and because God is pulling us to do something great, you want to make a commitment, a vow is nothing but a commitment. And this is the way it sounds. God, during this time of sacrifice, I will not drink any sodas during this time of sacrifice. During the time of sacrifice, it may be this. God, for the next 30 days, I'm not watching anything foolish on television. If it's not spiritual, educational, informational, motivating, building me up, if it's the housewives of Atlanta, New Jersey, Mississippi, Miami, I ain't watching nobody else's housewife. Not during this time of separation. Are you with me? Because it's not going to pour into me the type of stuff necessary for spiritual empowerment. Are you with me? Not saying you don't ever watch it. That's not saying, but saying at this time in my life, it might be this. Say, God, I want to earn my Juris Doctorate. God, I want a PhD. And while I'm pursuing it, I'm going to give up this so that I'll be successful in that. Make a vow regarding how that time is to be used. So when you're talking about sacrificing, you're going to spend more time with God. It sounds like this. God, I am going to spend 30 minutes a day 30 extra minutes a day, 15 minutes extra a day in prayer. That's what it sounds like during that time. God, I'm going to commit to, so I'm in a period of sanctification, consecration. I'm going to spend an extra 30 minutes a day in prayer. Now, when you do that, you don't allow anything to interrupt that. Or you might be like this, God, during this period, I'm going to read through the entire book of Psalms. All 150 Psalms during this period so that it may speak to me. Or I will visit the homeless shelter one hour a week. I'm going to do something that's totally unto you. Then you want to practice sacrificial offerings. I think I missed one. Make a vow regarding how you, what you are seeking during that time. In other words, when you go into this period of sacrifice something God has put it on your heart, then don't you turn your face to the right or to the left. You pursue it with all your might. So it may be a job. Maybe a job. Maybe a promotion. It may be somebody who's unsaved and you want to see them saved. And what you're going to do during this time, you're going to sacrifice and pray so that they will come to know God. Are y'all feeling me? See, a lot of times you're sleeping with somebody who's not saved. You're eating dinner with them and, and you ride them around in your car. You don't have to fuss and plant Bible verses and places. This is what you do. You say, God, what I'm going to do, God, for the next 30 days, just between me and you, I'm going to be praying. And God, I'm going to be seeking your face. And I'm going to sacrifice, God, so that somehow this person might come to know you. So you pursue what it is you want. And then you want to practice sacrificial offering. Sacrifice your way out of the wilderness. Give of yourself and your substance. During your period of sacrifice, give liberally of your substance. Don't become stingier when you're sacrificed. Seal what you seek with a sacrificial gift. Secondly, separate your way out of the wilderness. Let me say something very clear. I need you to understand this. Whenever you begin to seek something big in your life, to draw closer to God, ask God to do something unique with your life, just two things you're going to have to do must happen. You're going to have to sever some relationships with some unchristians and with some Christians. 
Y'all are quiet on me. There are going to be some unbelievers, and then there are going to also be some believers that you're going to have to leave behind. You know, some believers are just satisfied being where they are, where you're trying to go further. And some people don't want any more of their life. They're just glad to be saved. They don't want to help anybody else get saved. They don't want to work on the problems in their life. They don't want to become anointed by God and powerful. They're just satisfied singing and coming to church and doing nothing with the power that God has made available to them. But there are some people that want more of God and want God to use them in a very impactful way. They want to be a change agent in the hands of God. And you got to let the folks that satisfied alone if you're still hungry. Then you want to celebrate your way out of the wilderness. Now, why do you want to celebrate? This is crazy right here. Let me tell you why you want to celebrate. You celebrate in the wilderness. Wilderness is rough. Wilderness, you go to bed. You don't want to go to bed. You don't want to get up. It's crazy. Right? Wilderness, you ask questions, well, God, how long am I going to be here? How long am I going to be going through this? Well, God, what is this all about? God, when I thought I was halfway through, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just starting. It's rough. But then you want to start celebrating in the midst of the difficulty. Somebody just say, somebody, y'all repeat that after me. Celebrate in the midst of the difficulty. Don't wait until victory. Celebrate in the midst of the difficulty. Because if you can celebrate in difficult times, let, let me tell you why you should celebrate. Look at how the instruction on the Nazarite closes. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Look at this. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto what? You. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In other words, what he's saying, when you sacrifice, when you become a Nazarite unto God, when you separate yourself, when you say, God, I am consecrating my life in this time for you to do a great purpose, then he's saying, he said, man of God, Moses, speak into their lives this thing. Say, the Lord bless you. And in other words, what he's saying, when you separate yourself unto God, God takes a step back and God looks at you in the midst of the crowd. God separates you out in terms of how the blessings are going to flow and how the blessings are not going to flow. I just want you to know they don't flow the same way to everybody. Oh, yes, the sun shines on everybody, just and unjust. Rain falls on everybody, just and unjust. But God will add a little extra some something, something to somebody who will say, not only will you get sunshine, he'll give you a bouquet of flowers. He'll break, break off a little piece of money on you. He'll get you keep your car running when it's been broke. You'll drive a broke car just like it's right. I wish I had some help. God will meet all your needs. God I would do things uh, that you did not even think could get done. I'm just saying, when you sacrifice to God, blessings come your way that you had no idea. Right in the midst of the wilderness, with your eyes full of tears, with your heart broken, God will bless your life. He'll bless you. The Lord bless you. Guess what else? And he'll keep you. Let me tell you what happens when you decide to sacrifice to God. 
devil, the devil turns up the temptation heat. Anytime you say, God, I am digging in, the devil say, I'm digging harder. What the devil will do, he'll turn up the heat. But the Bible says the Lord will keep you. Then it says he'll make his face shine upon you. You know what? What that means? That means when folks are doing this on you, God's doing this. <laughs> when, when folks frowning at you, God is smiling. When folks are closing doors, God just waiting for them to leave, and he opened the door right on up for you. He'll make his face shine upon you. Then the last thing it says, he'll be gracious unto you. What does that mean? In the midst of your sacrifice, midst of your consecration time, you're still not perfect. I wish I had some help. You're going to make some mistakes. You'll drop the ball. But even in the midst of that, the most powerful force in the world is going to cover your life, and that is the grace of God. I wish I had two or three people who realize that it's not about them, but it's all about the grace of God. The only reason I am what I am, I am where I am, it's not because of how much I've sacrificed, not because of how righteous I am. I am nothing without the grace of God. Everything I am, all that I've accomplished, all that God has blessed me with is a direct reflection of his grace. Lord, be gracious unto you. And then he gives you peace. He gives you peace. Stand on your feet.